I don't know who originally told this story. I heard it, I believe, for the first time from Rick Warren. It's a pretty good one. Listen to this. An anthropologist had made his way to an island in the South Seas. When he got there, as he was exploring around, he came across a cannibal that was sitting in front of a pot over a fire. and He was reading his Bible. The anthropologist walked up to the cannibal and said to him, you, <clears throat> he said to him, what are you reading? And the cannibal responded, I'm reading my Bible. And the anthropologist said to him, you know that in the Western world, the Bible has been proven to be nothing but a book of lies, and it's been proven to be worthless. You are wasting your time, and you, you shouldn't do that. Just throw that thing in the fire. The cannibal stood up, and he sized up that anthropologist from head to toe as he was holding his Bible. And he made this statement, sir, if it were not for this book, you'd be in that pot. Now that's, that's pretty good. It really is. Here's this cannibal who has become a Christian. And I can honestly tell you, I've never met a cannibal that has become a Christian, at least not that I'm aware of, though I have traveled in the, the jungles of Central America a few times, but none that I'm aware of. But here's a man that had experienced extreme transformation in his life. He was changed. Even his appetites had been changed. Now let that soak in for just a second. He'd been transformed to the point that even his appetites had been changed. That's the way transformation works in the life of a believer. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, he changes everything within us, including our appetites. I like the way Rick Warren says this. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make the child of God more like the Son of God. That is that's pretty pointed, and that's the way it works. This morning, I want us to take the overarching idea captured in this quote, this idea of transformation, and I want us to look at it through the lens of the Holy Spirit and what He does in our lives so that we can get to a point that we can say, just like the Apostle Paul did, that we have become a new creation in Jesus. The Spirit is an intricate part of making us into that very thing, a new creation. And he is often overlooked. And that's a shame. It really is. So I want us to continue a study we began last week. If you weren't here last Sunday, you can catch that online at libbychristianchurch.com. If you happen to have the church app, you can go on and listen to that message and catch up to where we're at today. This is a continuation of that. So we're going to look at this transforming power of the Spirit. And as we do, we're going to cover quite a bit of ground in Scripture. A lot of it in just two chapters. So if you brought a Bible with you, open up to John chapter 13. There are a lot of things that happen in this chapter. A lot. I want to spend our time looking at just four of them because they're kind of telling about some things that are happening in the apostles' lives as they are hearing Jesus talk more and more about the Holy Spirit. So John 13, four things that I just want your mind to come to rest on. We'll put them up on the screen so you can follow all the way along. Here's number one. He showed them, meaning Jesus, 
showed the apostles where the rubber hits the road. Verses 14 through 16. Listen to this. Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In that brief period of time there where Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, he was showing them what real ministry looked like. He was helping them understand an attitude that they would need to carry with them. He was showing them how to approach other people as a servant, not as a master. He was showing them where the rubber would hit the road in their ministries, where things would become very real. And the same is true for every one of us. If we want to be effective in our service to the Lord, we have to learn from that example. We have to pay attention to what Jesus said to them after the washing of the feet, but we also need to pay attention to the example that he set and then simply follow it. Here's number two. He showed them, or I'm sorry, he dropped a bombshell on them. Now this is John 13, starting in verse 21. Pay close attention. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. That was a bombshell to all of them. They had been traveling with Jesus for three years, all 12 of them. They had been there to tend to his needs, to carry out the ministry that he put in front of them. They were witnesses to his goodness. They were witnesses to the miracles. They had participated in them, and they had performed them. So to hear that one of them would betray the Lord was a bombshell. Just blew everything up. What in the world? Who could he be talking about? They had no idea. So, of course, they had to talk among themselves until finally somebody asked Jesus. You heard how that played out. But look at what happens next. Number three, he gave them a new way of living. This is John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you also, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then number four, Jesus gave them a hatred for chicken. John chapter 13, verse 38. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Of course, that's after Peter said he would die with Jesus. There's no way in the world that he would ever abandon him. He would die with him. And Jesus says, yeah, well, we'll see if that's true because you will have denied me three times before the rooster crows. After that rooster crowed, Phil's opinion, nobody else backs me up on this, so this is just Phil's opinion. Do with it whatever you want. I think they hated chicken. I think they just hated chicken because every time they saw it on the plate or maybe even walking through the street, it was a reminder of that moment. Peter especially would have hated it. 
Now, the interesting thing is that the disciples heard all of these things, but I think they really missed the last two, particularly the significance of the last two because of something Jesus had said to them. It was really difficult stuff. Take a look at verse 38. Oh, I'm sorry, I gotta back up. Take a look at verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So between number two and three, Jesus makes that declaration that he's leaving them. Now he had told them that before. This wasn't brand new information. They already had it. But they could not embrace that he was going away. They couldn't accept that he wasn't going to be with them. So Jesus, in the the process of trying to get them to really wrap their minds around it, he was teaching them that he had to leave so that the Spirit could come. And until he was gone, the Spirit couldn't come. But they were still struggling with that. So in John chapter 14, he does some more teaching on the issue. And as he teaches it, you see some emotion rise out of them. We'll put all this up on the screen as well. In the midst of all of that teaching, they were deeply troubled. Take a look at John 14, verse 1. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Simply by saying, let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus is acknowledging that their hearts are troubled. He's telling them it's going to be okay. The Spirit is going to come. You don't have to worry. Yes, I'm going away, but you don't have to worry. We go on to a point where they're actually confused. Take a look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Here again, they're, they're struggling with this whole idea of Jesus being gone. So they're deeply troubled, they're confused, they felt abandoned. Chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus makes this statement, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. You don't have to worry. I won't leave you feeling abandoned. I won't leave you in this discouragement, I am coming. Yet with all of that information at hand, they were afraid. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Neither let them be afraid. So look again at just the headings here. They were deeply troubled, they were confused, they felt abandoned, and they felt afraid in the midst of all of Jesus' teaching about the coming of the Holy Spirit. What we find as we go through all of that is that the disciples were human. All of their frailties got exposed right here as they learned that Jesus was leaving and they were trying to wrap their minds around the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is what happened. They were deeply troubled. They were confused. They felt abandoned. They felt afraid. 
Those were the frailties that they had to wrestle with. Those are very real. They are very real. So in those moments where you find yourself vacillating between cowardice and confusion, or you find yourself vacillating between faith and doubt, recognize that you're in good company. Even the apostles had to wrestle through those types of feelings. They had to struggle their way through the exact same thoughts. And even as we have the Holy Spirit now, we still find ourselves in positions where we struggle to trust Him, to rely on Him, and to allow Him to lead the way. And that type of struggle will often stand between us and transformation. It will often stand between us becoming that new creation. For some people, it will stand as simply a hurdle they have to overcome. For others, it will be a barrier that will remain forever. But it doesn't have to be that way. If we can accept the coming of the Holy Spirit, we can accept that even in our frailties, God will still meet us right where we're at and lead us out of it. I want to show you what I'm talking about. So let's keep looking at the disciple situation. Go with me to the book of Acts now. Acts chapter 1. Luke is the author of this, Dr. Luke. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here's this promise again. He's telling them not very many days from now, the Spirit's going to come. They've heard him saying this for 40 days. For 40 days, they'd heard him making this promise. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> I love that. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So back in verse 6, listen again. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were asking a old question. One that they had asked and one that the Pharisees had asked, the other Jews had asked, all the believers have asked, are you now going to restore your kingdom on this earth? Is it time now? And Jesus had to say, no, listen to what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit's going to come, not very many days from now. That's the message I want you to hear. 
Have you ever found yourself feeling like in your prayer life you are asking the same thing over and over and over and over again? Anybody else ever been there? Right there, you can find great patience from the Lord for that very thing. If you ever feel like God gets tired of listening to you, read Acts chapter 1, because that's Jesus saying, it's okay, ask that question again, I'm going to answer it, but now let me remind you of what really matters. Let me keep you on track. So he's keeping them on track. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And then right after that, he ascended into heaven. There was no more teaching that he could give. Watch what happens next. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, do you remember all of those emotions that we talked about just a few minutes ago when they heard that Jesus was leaving? Here they are up on the screen again. Deeply troubled, confused, feeling abandoned, and afraid. All of those were still prevalent, but I believe there's some others that got added. Here they are. Intimidated, insecure, and bewildered. All of those emotions were coming to bear on them. Jesus had warned them. He had told them what was going to happen, and now it had, and they were afraid. They were afraid. Now, let's, let's give just a little bit of grace They should have been. Just 40 days ago, they saw Jesus arrested. They saw him crucified. And right after that, people were looking for them. They had scattered. They had fled. Some of them got on a boat, went out to sea. Others just kind of disappeared. Until after the resurrection, when Jesus gathered them all back together, and he showed himself to them, a little bit of peace came to rest on them, But there was this overarching idea that he was going to leave them again. And what were they going to do when he was gone? The worker of miracles would not be in their presence. So after he ascended into heaven, they did what most of us would have done. They went to the upper room, they closed the door, and they locked it. They locked it. As if to say, if they're coming after us, they got to come through that door. I hope they don't find us. But they locked it. And they prayed. And in the next few verses, you'll find out that Peter stood up and said, hey, we got to find somebody to replace Judas Iscariot. So they cast lots, and Matthias was chosen. They just kind of busied themselves with what they considered important work behind a locked door. And then in chapter 2, something happens. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. From the time of the ascension until Acts chapter 2, verse 1, you know how many days that was? This is really significant. It's 10. That's 10 days. Now, how do we know that? Because Acts chapter 1 will tell us that Jesus ascended 40 days after (coughs) the resurrection. Pentecost began 50 days after the Passover. So we're talking about a 10-day difference. 
So for 10 days, they were waiting on the Spirit. You ever felt like you were waiting on the Spirit? You'd ask God to do something and it wasn't happening yet? This is a good reminder that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is God. And He still operates in God timing. He operates as God says is best. So when you need to be patient and wait, be patient and wait. Just be patient and wait. Don't try to get ahead of him. Be patient and wait. Even in issues of transformation, be patient and wait. Because when the Spirit comes, he will come and meet you exactly where you are at. Verse 2 of chapter 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were changed. They were changed. Want to know how we know that? Fast forward to chapter 8, verse 1. <coughs> that? that? Nice Nice catch, Byron. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This is the start of what we know biblically as the great diaspora or the dispersion of the Christians out of Jerusalem. Watch what happens. And Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen. Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, listen, except the apostles. And there's transformation. So, Saul is persecuting the church. He's killing people. Stephen just died at Saul's hand. He was there giving approval. Saul would later on say that he had gone door to door seeking out people that had given their lives to Christ, looking to either imprison them or kill them. That's what Saul was doing. He was ravaging the early church. When he made his way to Jerusalem and he hunted down Stephen, at that point the apostle said, it isn't safe for anybody to be here. All those thousands of people that had come from distant lands and had remained there so that they could hear the apostles' teaching, they told him to go home. And with them the gospel went. The Holy Spirit went with all these new believers. That's a cool thing. Satan always thinks he's one step ahead of God. He is never ahead of God. And so the gospel spread out of Jerusalem, but the apostles stayed right where they were at. We're talking about the guys that just a few years prior to that were locked inside the upper room. Fear governed a lot of what they were doing. But once the Holy Spirit had come to rest on them, that was changed. They were transformed. And now they're standing in Jerusalem saying, if you're looking for us, we're right here. If you want to know where we're at, you don't have to look far. We're right here. They were new people. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And how that happens is the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit causes that type of transformation. That is so powerful. So you can look back on your life 
and say that I am a new creation. Even the fears of my past are gone because I'm trusting the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leading me into a brand new way of living, a brand new way of seeing everything around me. It's not just sin that is gone, it's fears that are gone. Because now in the boldness of the Spirit, I can face whatever it is that God wants me to face. These men had to stand up and preach in Jerusalem after the Spirit had come on them in Acts chapter 2. They hadn't done that yet. They did it. And after that, they grew a church. They were in brand new territory. And the Spirit was leading the way every step of it. All we have to do is trust Him and we can experience the same types of things. God will take us places that we never thought we could go. Now, I want to share just a little bit of a secret with you. Without Him, you probably can't. Your fears will hold you back. You'll be limited by some of the thoughts that run through your heart and your mind. You may even find that you don't have the abilities on your own, short of the gifts of the Spirit, to be able to do what you have sitting in front of you on your own. You probably can't do it. But with Him, you can. You can. So here's the secret to that. When you find yourself in a place where you are being challenged to get out of your comfort zone and you don't think you can do it, and you just want to go inside the room, close the door and lock it, and stay there. Well, if you need to do that for a little while, do it. But you ask God, you ask God to send the Spirit to help you unlock the door and do what will put you in such an uncomfortable position that you know that without Him you could never be there. Whatever that is. Let me give you some interesting examples of that. Tina might contact you and see if you'd be interested in being a greeter at church. And your first answer, the inclination is to say, oh no, I can't do that. Do it. Do it. Because the Holy Spirit will take you past your fear. Or maybe you have somebody that approaches you on a Sunday morning and they're carrying a clipboard. Those are our lead ushers. So they come up to you and ask if you'd be interested in serving the Lord's Supper to God's church. And you say, no, I couldn't do that. There's no way I could do that. Do it. Because the Spirit will help you do that. Marissa might come to you and ask you if, if you would be interested in helping in our nursery ministry. And you think, it isn't that I don't like kids, it's that kids don't like me. There's no way I could do that. Say yes, because the Spirit can help. So let the Spirit help. On and on and on this list can go. There are so many ways that we can fill in the blanks of how people find themselves in positions way beyond themselves. A few minutes ago, you saw Les Brothers up here leading us in communion and an offering meditation. Do you know how far that is outside his comfort zone? It, there's not even a map for that. Is that right, Les? There's no way to see how far that is from Les's comfort zone. The first time that he was asked to do that by Deanie, he just about died of a heart attack. And I don't know how many times you've done that now, Les, but 
Now he says yes because he knows the Spirit will stand beside him. That's the way it works, friends. You'll find yourself at the end of yourself, and that's where the Spirit will meet you and change you and make you into a new person. Let him do it. It's a fair question to say, how's that happen? Well, it requires us to understand a word in regard to the Holy Spirit. It's a really important one. So let me show it to you. Dependence. Become dependent upon him. Put yourself in a place where you want to live outside of your comfort zone. Dependent upon him. Now you might think, okay, dependent just means that, that I have to, to say, Lord, I have to have you. Well, maybe it's more than that. The best definition that I have had or found for this word in regard to the Holy Spirit is the word subordinate. You live subordinate to the Spirit. That's the place where we make statements like this. Jesus did. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm subordinate to the Spirit. If the Spirit's leading, then I have to follow. Now, that may be the Spirit leading me out of an old way of living, and that may be the Spirit leading me into new opportunities. That may be the Spirit transforming every aspect of who I am, even the way I'm thinking about things. Follow Him. Follow Him. You won't be sad that you did. Follow Him. Here's a good way of thinking about this type of dependence. Unlike Jesus' physical movements and audible words, the Spirit's work is accomplished through our yieldedness to His prompting and movement. He wants to work in the deepest level of our being, the place where our thoughts, desires, and plans are formed. It comes from a wonderful preacher in New York City named Jim Cimbala. A lot of you have heard of him. He leads the Brooklyn Tabernacle there. I like the way he captures this. And that comes out of his own exploration of the Holy Spirit, an ongoing exploration that Cimbala has been in for decades, learning how to live subordinate to the Spirit. Not my will, but yours be done. Even in places where I am so uncomfortable, I break into a cold sweat just thinking about it. Go to those places. They are places of transformation. They are places of change, deep change. Let the Holy Spirit change you there. And you'll find out your appetites will change once you do. You remember we started out talking about that? Transformation of thinking and even our appetites. Remember our cannibal friend? Well, let me show you a way that that happens. This is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's how our appetites change when we are walking with the Spirit. You start to hunger and thirst after righteousness, right standing with God. You want more of God all the time. 
I've been walking with the Lord my entire life, 55 years old, my entire life I've been walking with the Lord. And I can tell you after a 55-year journey, and, and okay, I'll be honest, I don't necessarily remember the early years of it. But after all that time, I can honestly tell you this, what I want of God now is simply boiled down to this, more. I just want more, all the time. More and more and more. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness to know him better. And his spirit is the key to that. His spirit is the key to more. So lean into the spirit. In fact, maybe more than lean into the spirit, start walking with him. Show you what I mean. This is Galatians chapter five. I'll leave you with this. Verse 25. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. I think we can actually put that up on the screen for you. Chelsea, I think you have that. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Which simply means this. Once you start on a journey with the Holy Spirit, don't stop. Because there is more transformation coming. Your appetites will continue to change. So stay in step with the Spirit. Always. Always you will not be sad that you have. Let him change you and let that process continue until you stand before the Lord face to face. Keep in step with the Spirit.